Chapter Eleven, Part One of the Riddle of the Universe by Ernst Haeckel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Riddle of the Universe by Ernst Haeckel, translated by Joseph McCabe. Chapter Eleven: The Immortality of the Soul. Contents of this chapter include the Citadel of Superstition a thanatism and thanatism individual character of death immortality of the unicellular organisms protists cosmic and personal immortality primary thanatism of uncivilized peoples secondary thanatism of ancient and recent philosophers a thanatism and religion origin of the belief in immortality christian athanatism eternal life the day of judgment metaphysical athanatism substance of the soul ether souls and air souls fluid souls and solid souls immortality of the animal soul arguments for and against athanatism athanatist illusions when we turn from the genetic study of the soul to the great question of its immortality we come to that highest point of superstition which is regarded as the impregnable citadel of all mystical and dualistic notions for in this crucial question more than in any other problem philosophic thought is complicated by the selfish interest of the human personality who is determined to have a guarantee of his existence beyond the grave at any price this higher necessity of feeling is so powerful that it sweeps aside all the logical arguments of critical reason consciously or unconsciously most men are influenced in all their general views and therefore in their theory of life by the dogma of personal immortality and to this theoretical error must be added practical consequences of the most far-reaching character it is our task therefore to submit every aspect of this important dogma to a critical examination and to prove its untenability in the light of the empirical data of modern biology in order to have a short and convenient expression for the two opposed opinions on the question we shall call the belief in man's personal immortality athanatism from athenes or thanatos meaning immortal on the other hand we give the name of thanatism from thanatos meaning death to the opinion which holds that at a man's death not only all the other physiological functions are arrested but his soul also disappears that is that sum of cerebral functions which psychic dualism regards as a peculiar entity independent of the other vital processes in the living body in approaching this physiological problem of death we must point out the individual character of this organic phenomenon by death we understand simply the definite cessation of the vital activity of the individual organism no matter to which category or stage of individuality the organism in question belongs man is dead when his own personality ceases to exist whether he has left offspring that may continue to propagate for many generations or not in a certain sense we often say that the minds of great men in a dynasty of eminent rulers for instance or a family of talented artists live for many generations and in the same way we speak of the soul of a noble woman living in her children and children's children but in these cases we are dealing with intricate phenomena of heredity in which a microscopic cell 
the sperm cell of the father or the egg cell of the mother transmits certain features to offspring the particular personalities which produce those sexual cells in thousands are mortal beings and at their death their personal psychic activity is extinguished like every other physiological function a number of eminent zoologists weismann being particularly prominent have recently defended the opinion that only the lowest unicellular organisms the protists are immortal in contradistinction to the multicellular plants and animals whose bodies are formed of tissues this curious theory is especially based on the fact that most of the protists multiply without sexual means by division or the formation of spores in such processes the whole body of the unicellular organism breaks up into two or more equal parts daughter cells and each of these portions completes itself by further growth until it has the size and form of the mother cell however by the very process of division the individuality of the unicellular creature has been destroyed both its physiological and its morphological unity have gone the view of weismann is logically inconsistent with the very notion of individual an indivisible entity for it implies a unity which cannot be divided without destroying its nature in this sense the unicellular protophyta and protozoa are throughout life physiological individuals just as much as the multicellular tissue plants and animals asexual propagation by simple division is found in many of the multicellular species for instance in many cnidaria corals medusae etc the mother animal the division of which gives birth to the two daughter animals ceases to exist with the segmentation the protozoa says weismann have no individuals and no generations in the metazoic sense i must entirely dissent from his thesis as i was the first to introduce the title of metazoa and oppose these multicellular tissue-forming animals to the unicellular protozoa infusoria rhizopods etc and as i was the first to point out the essential difference in the development of the two the former from germinal layers and the latter not i must protest that i consider the protozoa to be just as mortal in the physiological and psychological sense as the metazoa neither body nor soul is immortal in either group the other erroneous consequences of weismann's notion have been refuted by mobius eighteen eighty four who justly remarks that quote, every event in the world is periodic unquote, and that quote, there is no source from which immortal organic individuals might have sprung close quote. when we take the idea of immortality in the widest sense and extend it to the totality of the knowable universe it has a scientific significance it is then not merely acceptable but self-evident to the monistic philosopher in that sense the thesis of the indestructibility and eternal duration of all that exists is equivalent to our supreme law of nature the law of substance as we intend to discuss this immortality of the cosmos fully later on in establishing the theory of the persistence of matter and force we shall not dilate on it at present we pass on immediately to the criticism of that belief in immortality which is the only sense usually attached to the word the immortality of the individual soul 
we shall first inquire into the extent and the origin of this mystic and dualistic notion and point out in particular the wide acceptance of the contradictory thesis our monistic empirically established thanatism i must distinguish two essentially different forms of thanatism primary and secondary primary thanatism is the original absence of the dogma of immortality in the primitive uncivilized races secondary thanatism is the later outcome of a rational knowledge of nature in the civilized intelligence we still find it asserted in philosophic and specially in theological works that belief in the personal immortality of the human soul was originally shared by all men or at least by all rational men that is not the case this dogma is not an original idea of the human mind nor has it ever found universal acceptance it has been absolutely proved by modern comparative ethnology that many uncivilized races of the earliest and most primitive stage had no notion either of immortality or of god that is true for instance of the vedas of ceylon those primitive pygmies whom on the authority of the able studies of the saracens we consider to be a relic of the earliest inhabitants of india it is also the case in several of the earliest groups of the nearly related dravidas the indian seelongs and some native australian races similarly several of the primitive branches of the american race in the interior of brazil on the upper amazon etc have no knowledge either of gods or immortality this primary absence of belief in immortality and deity is an extremely important fact it is obviously easy to distinguish from the secondary absence of such belief which has come about in the highest civilized races as the result of laborious critico-philosophical study differently from the primary thanatism which originally characterized primitive man and has always been widely spread the secondary absence of belief in immortality is only found at a late stage of history it is the ripe fruit of profound reflection on life and death the outcome of bold and independent philosophical speculation we first meet it in some of the ionic philosophers of the sixth century b c then in the founders of the old materialistic philosophy democritus and empedocles and also in simonides and epicurus seneca and plinius and in an elaborate form in lucretius carus with the spread of christianity at the decay of classical antiquity athanatism one of its chief articles of faith dominated the world and so amid other forms of superstition the myth of personal immortality came to be investigated with a high importance naturally through the long night of the dark ages it was rarely that a brave freethinker ventured to express an opinion to the contrary the examples of galileo giordano bruno and other independent philosophers effectually destroyed all freedom of utterance heresy only became possible when the reformation and the renaissance had broken the power of the papacy the history of modern philosophy tells of the manifold methods by which the matured mind of man sought to rid itself of the superstition of immortality still the intimate connection of the belief with the christian dogma invested it with such power even in the more emancipated sphere of protestantism that the majority of convinced freethinkers kept their sentiments to themselves 
from time to time some distinguished scholar ventured to make a frank declaration of his belief in the impossibility of the continued life of the soul after death this was done in france in the second half of the eighteenth century by danton mirabeau and others and by the leaders of the materialistic school of those days holbach lametri etc the same opinion was defended by the able friend of the materialists the greatest of the hohenzollerns the monistic philosopher of sans souci what would frederick the great the crowned thanatist and atheist say could he compare his monistic views with those of his successor of to-day among thoughtful physicians the conviction that the existence of the soul came to an end at death has been common for centuries generally however they refrained from giving it expression moreover the empirical science of the brain remained so imperfect during the last century that the soul could continue to be regarded as its mysterious inhabitant it was the gigantic progress of biology in the present century and especially in the latter half of the century that finally destroyed the myth the establishment of the theory of descent and the cellular theory the astounding discoveries of ontogeny and experimental physiology above all the marvelous progress of the microscopic anatomy of the brain gradually deprived athanatism of every basis now indeed it is rarely that an informed and honorable biologist is found to defend the immortality of the soul all the monistic philosophers of the century strauss feuerbach buchner spencer etc are thanatists the dogma of personal immortality owes its great popularity and its high importance to its intimate connection with the teaching of christianity this circumstance gave rise to the erroneous and still prevalent belief that the myth is a fundamental element of all the higher religions that is by no means the case the higher oriental religions include no belief whatever in the immortality of the soul it is not found in buddhism the religion that dominates thirty per cent of the entire human race it is not found in the ancient popular religion of the chinese nor in the reformed religion of confucius which succeeded it and what is still more significant it is not found in the earlier and purer religion of the jews neither in the five mosaic books nor in any of the writings of the old testament which were written before the babylonian exile is there any trace of the notion of individual persistence after death the mystic notion that the human soul will live forever after death has had a polyphyletic origin it was unknown to the earliest speaking man the hypothetical homo primigenius of asia to his predecessors of course the pithecanthropus and prothylobates and to the least developed of his modern successors the vedas of ceylon the Selongs of india and other distant races with the development of reason and deeper reflection on life and death sleep and dreams mystic ideas of a dualistic composition of our nature were evolved independently of each other in a number of the earlier races very different influences were at work in these polyphyletic creations worship of ancestors love of relatives love of life and desire of its prolongation hope of better conditions of life beyond the grave hope of the reward of good and punishment of evil deeds and so forth comparative psychology has recently brought to our knowledge a great variety of myths and legends of that character they are for the most part closely associated with the oldest forms of theistic and religious belief 
in most of the modern religions athanatism is intimately connected with theism the majority of believers transfer their materialistic idea of a personal god to their immortal soul that is particularly true of the dominant religion of modern civilized states christianity as everybody knows the dogma of the immortality of the soul has long since assumed in the christian religion that rigid form which it has in the articles of faith Quote, i believe in the resurrection of the body and in an eternal life Unquote. man will arise on the last day as christ is alleged to have done on easter morn and receive a reward according to the tenor of his earthly life this typically christian idea is thoroughly materialistic and anthropomorphic it is very little superior to the corresponding crude legends of uncivilized peoples the impossibility of the resurrection of the body is clear to every man who has some knowledge of anatomy and physiology the resurrection of christ which is celebrated every easter by millions of christians is as purely mythical as the awakening of the dead which he is alleged to have taught these mystic articles of faith are just as untenable in the light of pure reason as the cognate hypothesis of eternal life the fantastic notions which the christian church disseminates as to the eternal life of the immortal soul after the dissolution of the body are just as materialistic as the dogma of the resurrection of the body in his interesting work on religion in the light of the darwinian theory savage justly remarks quote, it is one of the standing charges of the church against science that it is materialistic i must say in passing that the whole ecclesiastical doctrine of a future life has always been and still is materialism of the purest type it teaches that the material body shall rise and dwell in a material heaven unquote. to prove this one has only to read impartially some of the sermons and ornate discourses in which the glory of the future life is extolled as the highest good of the christian and belief in it is laid down to be the foundation of morality according to them all the joys of the most advanced modern civilization await the pious believer in paradise while the all-loving father reserves his eternal fires for the godless materialist in opposition to the materialist athanatism which is dominant in the christian and mohammedan churches we have apparently a purer and higher form of faith in metaphysical athanatism as taught by most of our dualist and spiritualist philosophers plato must be considered its chief creator in the fourth century before christ he taught that complete dualism of body and soul which afterwards became one of the most important theoretically and one of the most influential practically of the christian articles of faith the body is mortal material physical the soul is immortal immaterial metaphysical they are only temporarily associated for the course of the individual life as plato postulated an eternal life before as well as after this temporary association he must be classed as an adherent of metempsychosis or transmigration of souls the soul existed as such or as an eternal idea before it entered into a human body when it quits one body it seeks such other as is most suited to its character for its habitation the souls of bloody tyrants pass into the bodies of wolves and vultures those of virtuous toilers migrate into the bodies of bees and ants and so forth 
the childish naivete of this platonic morality is obvious on closer examination his views are found to be absolutely incompatible with the scientific truth which we owe to modern anatomy physiology histology and ontogeny we mention them only because in spite of their absurdity they have had a profound influence on thought and culture on the one hand the mysticism of the neoplatonists which penetrated into christianity attached itself to the psychology of plato on the other hand it became subsequently one of the chief supports of spiritualistic and idealistic philosophy the platonic idea gave way in time to the notion of psychic substance this is just as incomprehensible and metaphysical though it often assumed a physical appearance end of chapter eleven part one recording by nathan dickey ashland oregon journeymanheretic.blogspot.com